Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Do it. All right. This meeting is being live streamed, gentlemen. Just so you're aware in the state of California, this is now legal. What? Now you know. I did not consent to be. <laughs> you got to click a button or something. Yeah. Uh, what's happening, fellas? It's our 101st episode, the big one. Mm. It's always tough to play on after the century, particularly in cricket. You go to sleep a little bit, got to bat through, yeah. look for the second ton, the second hundred. A uh, little bit of uh, a wobble in the stock market over the Thanksgiving break. How's everybody's portfolio holding up? Not well. I own some value stocks. <laughs> Getting more valuable every day. I guess. Deeper value. Yeah. Deep value, getting deeper value. Yeah, I got some, I, that's going to be my topic today. I got some, I, I saw a nice, uh, I, I always read um, Josh Wolf at Lux Capital. I've been following Josh since he was Crane's New York business, one of the 30 under 30 in like 2002 or three, something like that, maybe even earlier than that. That's what's up. So I read his letter whenever I can get my hands on it. And Lux Q3 came out. I read it. Um, some there's some interesting stuff lines. In there, huh? Some interesting lines in that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not going to. I just want to quote a few of the pieces. And then uh, uh, Ryan Curlin at Alpha Architect. I think I mentioned this last week, but I'm uh, going to beat it twice in a row because I like it. <laughs> but you guys, what do you got going on, Bill? I I don't have anything. I'm going to riff on something. <laughs> I got a few. I got a few topics. We can. We can. Uh, I mean, I figure we'll just talk. I think that's a good see approach. how it goes. I think that's a good idea. Therapy. What about UJT? What's the word? Yeah, I've. Uh, I'm gonna get out way, way over my skis in a. Uh, I love it <laughs> on a little segment that's that's uh, health related, and so you know, if, when I you know we always make the caveat like this is not investment advice, right? And this is definitely not health advice, but we're going to get into some stuff that's, uh, that's, I think okay. it has some interesting, interesting facts to it and also maybe some interesting takeaways. So I'm just going to give a bit of a shout out to all the folks who've called in. So we got Tulsa, Nairobi, Kenya, New Zealand, Picayune, Mississippi, Barcelona, Henderson, Toronto, Saskatchewan. Tell me if I'm saying that. Right. And Townsville, there we go. Townsville's got to have the highest concentration of the value investors <laughs> yeah. in the world. There's like a hundred thousand people there. Yeah, that's that's Graham and Doddsville on the map. I, I love seeing Townsville in the house. The the town that wanted to tell everybody it was a town twice. Townsville, good for you guys. <laughs> <Slow> redundant. <laughs> Either that, or it's just one guy that keeps signing on. Ah, there's at least two, or a lady. You guys, I, we got this. I shouldn't uh, assume it's all men. No, do a, no, a meetup. Well, according to the demographics, it's almost certainly all men. It's like ninety nine point seven percent. Yeah, that's kind of why I made some of the so jokes. You're but then one, me our a one, chance. well, our one woman uh, listener or somebody using a woman avatar, which is more likely. Yeah, got to be careful with those ones. Yeah, there's some catfishing going on in the. Have uh, you seen you catfish? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. This is in the YouTube. Machine. The first thing you got to do Catfish is right click and, and Google the Google the image to see which uh, which um, where it got stock image from. it is. Yeah, stock image it is. That's yeah, it. no doubt. That's <laughs> a pro Local. tip right there, folks. Columbia Central Valley. The other thing I do is if I get hit up by a big account, I go and the first thing I do is go and look at how many what their follower profile looks like because you see these guys five hundred thousand followers, five hundred thousand followers for the last three years, drifting mm. down slowly. I'll purchase then, then. Yeah, then they've bought the account and gone hard mm. in the last week or so. I'm on to you, just so you know. People sell accounts. I guess that's I I guess I knew that. Do. I guess I knew that. I'd sell mine for any <laughs> You'd have to you have to get <laughs> back into yours to do that, wouldn't you? Oh yeah. Has to be worth something first. Have you liberated your Twitter account yet? Or you just let it what go? What does that mean? What does that mean? Didn't you didn't it, didn't it get hacked? Or are you just claiming that oh, there's yeah, some no, unsavory it, tweets? Yeah, exactly. Oh, Anyone's hacked. Any ones that I get canceled for later, I was hacked during that time period. Yeah, if we ever get famous, have to go and delete all that stuff. That's the first thing you do. And you need a buddy who's just going to go and delete all of your uh, Twitter history and browsing history after you die. That's good. Ooh, smart. Just just blow the computer up. Just vaporize the boss. Just bring it all down. 
Um, should we kick off with someone's, someone's claiming Kathmandu, Cody, Wyoming, Dixon, North Dakota. This is a pretty good, this is a pretty good spread. It's not bad. I just wanted to, um, do you guys mind if I take it away? I think yeah, that, please I, like, I like to no, say I'm hoping that somebody will stay. carry it for me. I like this quote from, uh, this is from Josh Wolf. Uh, an entire generation has not seen a downturn, has not experienced widespread loss from widespread leverage across sprawling interconnected systems, has not run back to safe haven occupations or embraced terms of value investing or timeless Oof. classics, warming of rampant speculation of devils taking the hindmost or of the madness and delusions of crowds. Jonathan Swift said reason is a very light rider and easily shook off. One, I just love that paragraph. I thought that was a... It's like checking all your boxes. Huh? That was a shit hot paragraph. As well. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that reading that. So thanks for that, Josh. And I couldn't agree more. I say this to you guys offline regularly. I may have said this, I may have said this uh, on a podcast before, but I do think that there's a... You could be 35 now and have started at 22 in this business and not seen a real grinding bear market, which is kind of amazing. Like you'd be a PM at 35 and not have seen, we've seen flash crashes. We saw March, 2020 flash crash. There've been lots of like December, 2018, there've been lots. And, you know, I freely admit that I thought every single one was going to turn into a bear market because my investing experience has been, I saw the dot-com bust and I saw the little short run up and then I saw the 2007, 2009 bust. So Seth Kleiman has a line where he says like, you're, you're basically a product of the market that you come into. And that's certainly true for me. So I probably see more bear markets than there are in actuality. Or when I predict more than there are, I've predicted 14 of the last zero. So feel free to ignore me. I'm not predicting anything. Again, I've sort of partially learned my lesson. Actually, I've got a little, um, I've got a little, uh, I don't know if you can see this. I've got a little crystal ball here. Ooh. My mm. kids. And you can actually ask it a question and press a button and it'll give you a, a response. So what inning it, are we in? Push the button. It, well, it, you gotta you gotta ask it a like a little more open end, like like uh, is this a big bear market coming? Oh, are you are you joking? You're not gonna work for me? Here we go. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, there shit. you go. It's on. Put it on the board. It's on. So, if uh, that is reflective of the, the market, though, you're going to want to sell puts. That's that's, that's my entire investment process. Just so I like knows. it. <laughs> but the 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 real bear market when we when we finally see one, which we will eventually, they're inevitable. It's it's not. I'm not predicting one at all. But the real bear market, the thing that characterizes a real bear market, as opposed to like a flash crash or a crash is this thing where you get all of the rallies get sold and it just goes on and on and on until you're 15, 16, 17, 18 rallies in sold to the lower low. That happens. You can go back and have a look at it. Buy the dips. It's sickening. <laughs> Say it again. Buy the dips. And buy then... the dips. Yeah, you're going to get lots of opportunities to buy the dips. No need to like shoot your bolt early on. Ah. <sighs> I, I don't know what the market's going to do here. I just think that we've, you know, the, the way that you would, the way that you would see these things start is that, you know, you often have the, the leaders get smashed to pieces, which we've sort of seen like the arc complex of all, you know, that Charlie Bolello tweet that does the, that's been doing the rounds. Like there's, there's some of those stocks already off 85%, something like that. And they're, they're still expensive at that kind of level. Peloton's one. There you go. Ugh. Alibaba. I don't know. Alibaba's. We've talked about that a few times, but you're back to like 2017 right now. Alibaba price. I mean, Going to be a lot of that, right? Yeah, that could be a fair amount of that. That's the like everybody. Everybody. You know, it's kind of fashionable to hate on John, John Hussman, but one of the things that I that I've learned from Hussman is when you look at it's not that fashionable. I his his. I mean. His returns are the things that make people hate on him. He's to been be fair, it's the hedge, you know, as he's pointed okay, out. Okay, but that's like a big bits. part. That's like, uh, you know, if I didn't eat a whole lot of pizza, I wouldn't be fat. Well, you ate the pizza, you're fat. If your mandate, I mean, if what you say that you're going to do is to like hedge up the portfolio, you, you, you kind of get what you get, right? If you run it hedged up, yeah. 
and he and he's delivering what he says he's going to do. It's just that 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 like that's what it does to the portfolio. But the, just ignoring. I'm just that saying part, that's that's why I, the hate is there. Objectively, I think it's because he's he's bearish on a valuation basis. Uh, maybe and I, just, I I think a lot of it has to do with the hedge. I think if you're bearish on valuation and your performance is roughly in line, then people don't hate on you. I think if you're bearish on valuation and you need the stock market to go down like fifty percent to catch up to it, then people start to say. But here's you're the thing that, that was literally that's the point I was just about to make. Like when you look at he's been doing, you know, you can go back and read those letters for a long period of time, and you can see what he was saying. And every single time that we've had these crashes, like the the crash in two thousand took you back to like 1996 and the 2007 crash took you back to like 1996, 1997. You know, it's entirely possible that we have a crash that takes you all the way back. Like you haven't missed anything by not being involved in it. Cause you just get like Buffett says, don't invest and wait for crashes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the problem with that strategy, right? Like you're sitting not around. Endorsing always, strategy. I know you're not. I'm just saying this is what people hate on. Right. Because it's like that, uh, I think that line of thinking, one, not only requires calling a crash correctly, but also requires moving in correctly or moving in yes. correctly. Yes. And like, okay, Impossible. I mean, if you can do it, good luck. You know, I, th- I think that's kind of, that's at least why I sort of would never do that for myself. That's fair. Now, and I, I, I prefer Buffett's approach to it too, for what it's worth, just that you're going to get crashes you're going to get a big 50% drawdown. You're just going to get smacked in the face and there's nothing you can do about it. And if you can't handle a 50% drawdown, which Munger and Buffett have both said, you don't belong in the market, which means, you know, look at how much leverage you're carrying. You know, if you can't wear it, then you, you don't, you shouldn't be in here because it's unpredictable. It's completely unpredictable. And I do think that Buffett's great superpower has just been being super optimistic about the US and about US business and being largely fully invested most of the time to the extent that he can be like, he's got that flood of cash coming in all the time that he has to redeploy that, you know, clearly he waits until he gets the thing that he's looking for, which is why he's sitting on so much now, 150 billion or something. Yeah. I mean, the better you know, way to live. I don't know. I I'm a simple person, but I, I don't own this, but I've been thinking about owning British American tobacco. I mean, you know, if you think a crash is coming, your dividend yields 8.9%. You're going to get that. I'm that People are going to smoke uh, and smokeless products are going to grow. And, you know, if uh, I just think if you're waiting for more, then wait for more. But uh, like there's there's stuff out there to do. That said, I'm sure you get, your, you know, I'm, I'm sure it'll kick it. you in the face. I think that's the way to do it. You, you wait until you get your price. Like you get your, whatever expected return you want. You wait until you get it, and then you f- then you take it, and uh, you know if it can proceed on to get cheaper after that, then you know bad luck or buy some more. Or don't worry about it too much, but just wait until you get your price. Easier said than done, but yes. Yeah, but you can do it. You can just say I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take a return below X, and then if you're just disciplined about it, you can do it. Yeah, I I, I guess what I'm saying is it's easier to say that you just watch it drift lower and don't care. Oh, I'm not saying you don't care. Yeah. I'm saying you just beat yourself up about it the entire way down. Yeah. But you don't do anything about it. Don't trade it. I think you just every morning get up and run that calculation, especially if they're doing buybacks on yeah. why it makes sense for this to go lower for me to be uh, have a better outcome. Well, the expected return goes up as it goes lower, provided that you're right on the yeah. underlying business. And then your measuring stick is like the next quarterly report and the one after that and the one after that and the K and not what the stock price does in the interim. It's easier said than done. Yeah. I think that's right. All theory here. (laughs) One of the things that Alpha Architect has pointed out as Ryan Curlin's work, I think I mentioned this last week, but he says that when he's measuring it on EBIT total enterprise value, which is my acquirer's multiple symmetric I like, the market is the the value decile relative to the market is at a wider spread now than it was a year ago. And on some different measures, you know, there's price to book, price to sales. I think they track price to cash flow and price to earnings as well. The spread now is wider than it was in 2000. 
it's why values suck so hard for so long, but it also means that the opportunity in value is pretty solid. Anybody want to dive on that grenade? Wow, we've had this conversation already about relative. We have this conversation every week. It's my favorite topic. versus absolute. <laughs> well, I just don't, I guess with, with the absolute thing, I just don't know why with all this money you're ever going to, you don't really deserve high absolute valuations, in my opinion, with this much money around. Like, because really it, all that money is doing is competing for an asset and there's a ton of money out there. So why would absolute valuations be up there? And with the amount of people that have gone into finance, like I just don't, I don't think setting your mind to a historical absolute valuation makes a whole lot of sense. How are you calculating an absolute valuation? This, this kind of, because I think it's tough. Like you got to look at the tenure, you got to look at other things. How do you think about it? I, I mean, I just think you'd take what's out there. I mean, you can sit there and you can be the guy that shouts at the sky screaming about, I need 10%, but like no one gives a shit what you need. I mean, Buffett's been doing it, <laughs> to be fair. That's like literally his number isn't. Okay, but I do think, and, and I'm going to, what I'm about to say, people are going to say like, okay, well, you just said that you eat all the pizza and you're fat, so you're fat or whatever. Buffett needed Apple to keep up with the S&P. That's, that is a big, big thing to, to ask of somebody all the time to, to recreate possibly the best investment of all time and have that be the strategy that you're the guy that can shout at this guy. I need this return and say, well, Buffett did it. Well, Buffett a is way better than you. And B he had like the best investment ever and, and required that to keep up. So like, is that a good strategy for real or did it work out? Cause he's a genius. Yeah, I think, to be, I think that he's approaching the problem in a little bit different way, right? He's not thinking, how do I keep up with the S&P 500? He's thinking, what big deployment of capital generates a sufficient return for me, regardless of what's happening? And yeah. he just takes them when he gets them. So I approach it like I am an idiot and I have the market offering me things to buy. And what do I want to buy within what I can buy? And you know what? If, if we all crash... Uh, I hope I don't lose relative wealth because I don't think paper wealth even means anything unless you're trying to like really have a step up in your purchasing power, which I'm really not. I'm trying to gain wealth over time. Whoa, what happened and, to that jet money talk? <laughs> well, I said for the right risk, I would I would risk it for a jet. <laughs> okay. But like that risk isn't out there right now. A good yeah. comment here from Bo Banks. He says, part of the reason EVE but spread is greater is because the value bucket is much less levered than most times in history. Average net debt EBITDA multiple for the bucket is less than three. Nah, I don't buy that. What? Yeah. What? It's what, not what, like it's not like on. these growthy entities are super levered. You yeah. can't, I don't. I don't think you can say levered is the reason. Well, I, saw, I saw a chart yesterday that said that corporate debt uh, is at a like historic high. Okay, but I I bet it doesn't skew on growth. Everybody, know. all that people bitch about is stock-based compensation on growth. Growth, yeah. it probably has the most pristine balance sheet out there. That's probably fair. Uh, I saw a chart yesterday that said that this is from some a macro guy. And sorry, I missed the account when it when it came through, but it had the return on equity for the growth against the return on equity for value, and then the valuation multiples of the two. And basically, they've tracked so they are better businesses at yeah. That makes more sense. A return on invested capital framework is what I think the answer to this problem is. Now, whether or not it mean reverts and whether or not it's regulatory capture, you know, those are sort of different questions. But like, I do think these growthy businesses are pretty good businesses, at least the ones that have high multiples on average. Sure. Toby, you're missing the best stat out of that Josh Wolf letter, which is. Q3, I, I might be a little off on this, because but uh, Q3 2021, the amount of money deployed in venture capital was more than like 96 through 99 total. So cumulative money deployed in venture capital in one quarter. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes Why sense. Why would it not? That's a ton of money. Okay, but one, there's a ton more money out there. And two, alternatives as an asset class are way more uh, collo colloquial or whatever, right? Like institutions own them. 
also like where the fuck are you going to get yield well british american tobacco yeah Yeah, that's right that could be the answer and like that that doesn't shock me that vc as a class has i mean if if we want to make the argument that you shouldn't go into venture capital fine that's that's sort of a different argument but i'm not shocked about the deployment of capital i think i'm saying um Typically, when you have a very large influx of capital chasing any particular strategy or idea, the forward perspective returns are lower. Yeah, lower. yeah but that's well, everywhere. That's my point. Like, this is why Charlie says- Not in like, value. There's a lot of flaws to value. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like value is this undiscovered concept. No. It may be out of favor. I don't, I don't deny that. But like I, I truly believe a lot of a lot of value guys are, are just like closet indexers or shittier businesses. I, I really do think How that. Yeah. I, I'm not saying you, man. Let's I've said a lot. Just, of I, 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 I didn't take it as me. <laughs> yeah, but I, I really do, and I think that they hide under like this. Well, we're value, and it's like okay, but you kind of own dog shit. Uh, the thing is, though, like I understand why that happens, though, because it's a you know this is a it's a handicapping. Like you have to get it's. I was saying to Jake before we started, like I, I run, I don't want to, I don't want to keep on dunking on Arc because I like Kathy Wood and I like what she's achieved, but I look at the portfolio regularly. And I, I can just pull the portfolio down in a little valuation tool that I have and look at the expected return, ignoring what happens in the multiples. I at the peak when she was like when Arc A R K K was at one hundred and fifty six bucks, I thought the expected return there across the portfolio was a little bit north of four percent. And now it's like that's 160. assuming assuming what to the multiple. Yes, yeah, sorry, that's assuming no compression in the multiples, which were at a very very significant premium to the rest of her index, whatever that is. I think it was the Qs. I think it was the, the Nasdaq index. And then I looked at it again this morning with the stock at one hundred and six dollars, and I think the expected return is like seven percent. Still assuming no mean revert, no compression in the multiples, and they're still at a premium. I like what what and I'm I'm trying to do the reverse of that. I'm trying to get a high expected return at a discount to the rest of the index. And if you're doing that, you're forced into these things that are, you know, out of favor and they're less good businesses. I know they're less good businesses. I'm just not going to pay a heroic multiple so I can own good businesses. And that's been a that's been a problem, you know, over the last five or six years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess I I agree with you. I, I would just, you know, I don't know. It all depends. Everything depends on nuance and definitions. Like, is a heroic multiple a 25% free cash flow yield if you're going to hold a good business for six years? Like, what does that multiple really bleed down to? Uh, like, I mean, are, are we talking- 25% free cash flow yield for a good business? No, no, 25 what's, times, what's 25 times, 25 oh, times. 4%. So 4% free cash flow yield. Sorry, I didn't mean to misspeak. Um, so what are we going to go to? Six? A good business is not trading at eight or 10. No fucking it would de- way. But it would depend on, you know, you would look at, is it paying a dividend? Probably not. It's probably reinvesting all of it. What rates it reinvesting at? Probably pretty high rate. You know, then you could get your expected returns going to be higher than, you know, it's probably a pretty reasonable expected return. They're like, we're talking about, Google, Microsoft, yeah, Facebook. We're in that kind of range there. And I agree with you. Like those are, I could, you know, you could be a value guy and hold all of those, you know, probably not buy them here, but you could certainly still be holding them from when you bought them at opportune moments over the last five years, even over the last year. I think you could buy them here with a long enough time horizon. I, I totally agree that you could have a drawdown, but like, I think, and I could be totally wrong, uh, but I think a much more dangerous game is going down in quality, chasing a multiple than it is like trading. And, and I'm not, I want to be very careful because I'm on Toby's program and I want to be very clear. Mate, that, t- like, t- I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. Let's, let's go for it. Like, I, no, well, I'm what not, I like, I'm going to be offended by it. I know, but what I like about what you do is it's systematized. So the thing that makes sense to me about value is you're exploiting a behavioral bias, right? You're saying the market hates this too much. And I'm the one that can exploit it. And it makes sense to me to outsource exploiting behavior to a machine. To be the person that wants to exploit that, I think is a tough thing for me to fully buy any more than I buy that people can analyze businesses and pick like 
a winning business and hold it for the really long term. And yeah, you, know. you, you got two issues, right? So if you're if you're a explicitly a high growth, high quality investor with value as a secondary consideration or no consideration at all, the risk that you run is that the business becomes less good over time and yeah. warrants less of a multiple. And and that's how you you earn subpar returns. To be playing that game, you have to be an absolute demon at analyzing businesses. And it's very, very tough because every other capitalist in the world is trying to figure out how to get those kind of returns and they're going to attack that little area. On the other hand, if you're going to be deep value, what you have to do is, you know, what you're saying is this business isn't going to deteriorate as fast as the rest of the market thinks. And I do think you can find these occasions where basically the, the market is saying this business is not going to ever grow again or it's going to continue shrinking forever. And the, the, the outside view of it is, you know, it's, it's a little bit more cyclical than that. It's, there are going to be exits from this industry. This thing can survive. This thing can do a little bit better than that. In my personal opinion, that's an easier assessment than doing the good business remaining good for a very long period of time. I think that's a really difficult thing to do, but that that has been paid better over the last five or six years. I, yeah, I guess that where I probably disagree is that I don't think that this, I don't think the latter is any easier than the former. I think the latter may, uh, you may get bailed out more by multiple. I, I think it may be, uh, you know, studies have shown values a better pond efficient, but I don't, I don't think that that's any easier of a game at all. It's, I mean, another I argument I think they're both that, really, really hard. I, I agree. There's no easy, there's no easy trade here. There's no, there's no easy spot. They're both difficult. I just think that the, the more conservative approach is a little bit easier, but then we have gone through this unusual period too, where there is this very, you know, that Mark Andreessen quote about software eating the world, that does seem to be coming true. And when these software style businesses move into some of these older style industries, the older style industries get, get destroyed, get knackered by when that happens. And so I think that, you know, just focusing on the cheapness of the business with no view of what is happening competitively in the industry is a mistake. And it's one that I've made lots of times. It's kind of second order question of that, though, in a in a world where you we turn up the coefficient of change going forward, which gets harder? Does it get harder to know about the good businesses and what they're going to look like and continue to look like? Or does it get harder to untangle secular versus cyclical problems with uh, like a business that may or may not mean revert now? Yeah, and will a will a will a a you know creative destructive uh, in, uh, insurgent be itself disrupted in short order? And so, do, do they warrant those very high multiples? Those are virtually impossible questions to answer. But I, yeah, I have. To, I, I think where I'm at is I don't actually believe that capitalism is working that way anymore. What's like the network effects mean that there are just going to be bigger winners who just run away, and there's going to be one. I think you've got industry consolidation. I think you've got regulatory capture. I don't, I don't fundamentally, I think that the assumption that, uh, I, I don't know. I just, the, the big, I've, I've seen two things since I was born and maybe it's cause it's just one big interest rate environment. I don't know, but the big have gotten bigger and scarce assets have, have accrued more value over time. If you had bought beachfront property at any point in my life, you've done pretty damn well if you had a long time horizon. Really, really great stocks, like truly great. This doesn't mean that you can go out and be like, oh, this is a great business. No, fuck that. Like there's maybe a hundred of them in the world. They've done well. You got it. You can't buy it and never look at it. You got to know what you're looking for. I don't know how to do it necessarily, but like I also don't know how to, uh, analyze energy companies. Right. And then somebody can say, well, why not index? I mean, you can index. I'm not going to hate you for it. I just don't trust it. Can't disagree with any of that. It's a tough game. But I, I do like scarcity has never lost value since I've been alive. And it's just hard for me to ignore. Now, is it overperforming right now? Yeah, maybe. Probably. But like. If you got a 10, 20 year time horizon, I don't really want to flip C-class assets for the rest of my life. 
It's been a pretty good year for for Valley, though. I mean, most Valley guys, I think, have had a pretty good year, and I think most growth guys have had a pretty rough year. I kind of think that the change has already happened or underway, which is the, the reason I keep on bringing up the curl and uh, pay, uh, blog post at Alpha Architect because the spread, it feels to me like value has been working for, you know, since September last year and certainly since the beginning of this year. And yet the valuation spreads are still very wide. I kind of don't know what that's measuring. I don't know where that is coming from. I don't know what's driving. I mean, it's clearly the expensive side is driving it, but I don't know. When I look at the anecdotal stuff, like the Charlie Bolello tweet that comes around, there's some carnage in there. And it's all the darlings from last year, Zoom and Peloton and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, dude, I don't know. Curate hasn't been fun. I, I don't know. My my uh, my style box, according to... Uh, yeah, but my fucking portfolio isn't. like I, I am is. apparently a... I am apparently a slightly higher than mid-cap, middle valuation person. And I will tell you, I've been getting assholed by both camps lately. Well... <laughs> Morningstar puts me finger cuffed. Yeah, Morningstar puts me in the same in the like it's mid cap value, mid cap large cap value, you know, and my my little uh, my little whatever you call that that circle, it's like it's the exact wrong shape for all the stuff that's been working, which is like a different a different angle and a different spot. Like large cap growth is where you want it to be, mid cap value has been uh, rough. But that's yeah. not always the case. Like mid-cap value is a pretty good spot to be for the most part or has been traditionally. Yeah. I don't, I'm not trying to hate on, on, on any one strategy or whatever. Hate, them on, uh, hate on all of them. That's just be equal, equal opportunity hate. Yeah, I guess, I guess just uh, my only strong opinion is sometimes I have in the past been like, well, you know, the multiple is it justifies this, and I've just never found that to to be a valid thought that I get paid on. You mean it's it's a shitty business, but the, it's a it's an even worse multiple. So yeah, that's right. It's just never ever ever worked out. And like I to be I, fair though, like we have been in this very very extended growthy kind of market. Like it's it it, it and we're close to the peak, right? I mean we're close to it, we're close to the. I don't mean we're close to the peak. Sorry, I don't mean. I'm not calling yeah, yeah. the end of it. I'm I know just what saying, you're saying the spread is wider than it has been. So of course, like if you look at that and you look back, you're going to say, well, the thing that's worked was one thing and the thing that didn't work is the other thing. And so therefore it's wrong. But, you know, again, John Hussman always says, look at these things, full cycle, trough to trough or peak to peak. And that's the measure. And we haven't had that second leg to properly make the assessment yet. You know, Buffett says, Buffett's great line about when the tide goes out, you find out who's been swimming naked. Like, we get to find out at some point here who's been swimming naked. Just looking. Am I wearing pants today? Uh, mate, you got to go commander. Okay. Well, just thinking through that, uh, I mean, almost definitionally, right? If if you're looking at EV to EBIT and the spread of EV has gone, call it favorably or maybe unfavorably, depending on if you owned or not, but um, then... And you're otherwise you've had a good year on a from a value kind of guy perspective as you're proposing, then that means that the EBIT must have moved in a way that is good. Is that possible? Yeah, yeah. I so mean, the I think EBIT I have... of the companies underlying this perhaps have improved from a year ago, which would then. Well, yeah, because a lot of those companies were shut down last year. Right. I'd I'd like to see it on 2019 numbers, but I bet it's I bet it's the same. You know what I find kind of interesting is that the more most of the companies that I look at, so this is the companies that I look at. So I don't know if this is representative, but most of the stuff that I look at that's cheap, they've all had bad 2019s. Like they've lost money in 2019. I don't know why that is. I'm trying to work out if it's a reporting period. I'm just trying to. I can't visualize it every single time, but I'm surprised every single one of these had a bad 2019, and then they've had a blockbuster 2020. Yeah, COVID winners that people yeah. think are going to be losers because yeah. they're in secular decline. Happened. Yeah, I think that's what's happened. I mean, some yeah. of them are just, they're just, they're not in secular decline. They're just slow growing businesses that like really, really slow, like 0.6% over the last 20 years or something like 0.6% compound over the last 20 years is one that I own, but it's cheap. 
That's yeah, right. Sean Stannard Stockton's written about that. That's a that's a tough pond to fish in. Maybe maybe as a basket, it's not, but as a as like a picker, I think that's a tough pond. Because yeah, I mean, point six can go negative quick. Oh no 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 no! no just I'm not, not. This is a cyclical. This is, could easily be uh, that could easily go the wrong way. Uh, what's Sean basing is um, is that statistical or is that like? Uh, oh, I don't argued? know. I. I I don't know what his approach was when he when I do he like drafted this stuff. it. Yeah, I think all of this stuff good. is very well reasoned. Yeah, very smart. Agreed. It's very very hard to look at prospectively from here and know what's going to win, but I can look at my own portfolio and I can see what I you know my estimated expected return for the portfolio. I think is justifies the position. I you know my own personal it clears my own personal hurdle. And um, it's at a discount to the rest of the market on every single multiple. So I feel like the two things that can happen, either I expand up to the market, in which case that's great. I don't think that's really going to happen. I think that probably what's going to happen is the market's going to come back. Catch down, do you? Catch down, unfortunately. But you still get the expected return. Like you should still generate. You're still over enough three to five years. Like I don't know what happens in the interim, but three to five years of compounding at this rate, I feel pretty good about. Don't really care. Like if the growth guys win over that period of time, Good luck to them. I wish them all the best. I'm kind of happy doing what I'm doing. I think the other thing that's happened with EBIT is um, the change to subscription like objectively reduces your revenues. I wonder wonder if the amount of multiples, like the amount of money that has been heaped on revenue multiples is, well, I'm, I'm almost certain this is the case, has just driven a lot of expensing. In, in a big way of like sales forces and trying to get installed bases. And then you've got the subscription revenue has to build over time. It doesn't come out of the gate as much. So like, I, th- I think you're, I'd like to see what the world looks like in a normalized expense environment. But then again, it's so probably a recession. You'd say then for the growthier companies that EBIT is pinched right now because of that? Yeah. I, I mean, that's that, definitely what the market's implying. Yeah, I think accounting is probably has some catching up to do on that front potentially and then this well, it's out- also just the way it works right like the cash flow statements aren't they're not generating a ton of a lot of these companies are not generating a ton of cash flow x stock-based comp but you know if you're paying a guy or a gal to go out and sell but it takes four years to recoup you know that's just there's a mismatch in your revenue expense line can you ever turn it off i don't know that's kind of the question right do you think that among managers, there's more of a recognition that that sort of Buffett-style approach where, you know, the way that Buffett manages Berkshire and compensates them, that's the heads of those companies. You know, so I saw Dan Eck tweeted this morning or yesterday something. He's the Spotify CEO. It's tweeted that, you know, they're over-investing in growth because he's, a, you know, he looks at cash flow, they're cash flow positive they're uh, over-investing in growth because they think that they can win that little race. And so that's going to depress current earnings, current free cash flow, all those sort of things. Do you think that that's more prevalent now? And so some of those metrics, like if, you, if you're investing on that basis, then you're going to miss the, and your free cash flow is what you're eyeballing, then you're going to miss some of those opportunities. A hundred percent. Because the market doesn't give a shit if you don't print current cash flow. They care about what are you doing to your strategic position. So, like, why would you not spend like crazy? Whether or not you can then like shrink it in and right size your organization without losing culture, that I think is a very valid discussion. But like, I don't, I, I almost think most expenses are just treated as one time in people's minds. I mean, I know that that's a little bit too far of a statement, but I do think a lot of people are like, whatever, go spend. Because you got people's ear, go win the year, like win the whole thing. Because if you do, you got global scale. Uh, and do you think that's <laughs> the execution of that is priced into the most of the prices of these things today? Yeah, a lot of they've yeah. already done. A lot it. of it is. It's already won. We've won. <laughs> well, maybe true. Look, I'd have been saying the same thing in 2018, so I've been wrong. Uh, don't let that hold you back. Never, yeah. never, never help me back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. JT, I mean, I, I, I guess what I really think uh, is like, uh, you know, I, I interviewed David Gardner, right? And uh, that just dropped. And I, I just think that 
we're coming through a period where people that have bet on the future have won huge and people that have bet against it have lost in a big, big way. And, uh, you know, maybe that changes, but maybe it doesn't. Although more recently, it's been profitable to bet against it. Last 12 months. All depends on when, right? I mean, even Peloton is still months, 80%, right? And 18 months. So yeah, we're going to say we have a 10 year time horizon. It's hard to like catch a chart and be like, see, we were right here, but not there. So I don't know. Somebody asked about a quantitative study of the biggest share cannibals and how they performed over time. Yeah, they, they, if you're buying back material amounts of stock, that indicates that you got the free cash flow to do the buyback, got a management that's willing to do it, and the stock price is at a sufficiently, you know, the market capitalization is low enough relative to the business that it's probably value. And when you get all those three things together, you get very good returns. And it, you can divide the universe into share price, into stock issuers and stock cannibals and the cannibals do so much better than the issuers quantitatively speaking as a cohort jt you want to do your yes what is the leading cause of death in the world malaria Fatness. no i'm sorry old age it's cardiovascular disease no way 18 million people in 2019 died. 32% of all deaths are cardiovascular disease. How correlated is this with being overweight? Slow down, slow down. <laughs> we'll get I'm into just that. Saying. So one in every 36. Too much Rogan. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, every 36 seconds, someone in the U.S. dies from cardiovascular disease. Is that old age? Well, sure. sorry, dude. You just keep on doing your thing. I'll write down yeah, a few course. questions to ask you at the <laughs> yeah. end. Yeah, we got this, Toby. <laughs> yeah, you guys are you guys are really helping. We're, the, the we're peer reviewing you in the moment. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Oh, uh, so post World War II, there was this sudden explosion of people dying from heart attacks, and it was like one million people a year were dying in the U.S. from heart attacks, and it was like a ten to one ratio, men to women. So it's a real problem then, right? Because they want to <laughs> get that figured out. Uh, no one knew why. And we had no explanation. And into that vacuum stepped this man named Ansel Keys. And his kind of claim to fame was uh, actually inventing the K ration, which I believe that the K is for keys, um, <clears throat> which was a military, uh, like what sent to soldiers to eat during, during the war. And I mean, Keys became really famous for his hypothesis that it was cholesterol that was causing all of these, this cardiovascular disease that was killing 1 million people, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of men a year dying from this. Is this and, dying before, like this, this is like a, you know, dying before their time type. Yeah, well, death. I mean, I guess everyone's time is their time, but uh, yeah, statistically. Dying before your cohort's time. Yeah. Right. Okay. I mean, to the point where this guy's on time, the cover of time magazine, um, like he's a big deal. And his, his hypothesis was that, you know, saturated fats were the problem that we were eating too many saturated fats and causing heart disease. There's too much cholesterol floating around in your blood. Well, there's only one little problem with that. This was never, the science never said this. Mm. Like it was never, there was no randomized control trial, which is the gold standard for figuring out, like, does something cause something else? Never proven. And in fact, it's worse than that. In 1968, Keyes himself did a study where they substituted, they had a, like two cohorts. And in one of the cohorts, they substituted the saturated fat with something else that was supposed to be, you know, more heart healthy. And it, they ran saturated like, fat. Well, no, it was some other, like actually like vegetable based fats, which dude know, fake news does. He did. So a it, lot of it going around. Five years, they ran this study and it never came out and no one knew anything about it. And until 2013, someone like was digging through the basement in some like, I don't know where it was, like some university and uncovered the data for this, digs into it. It turns out they basically just like buried the study because it showed wrong answer. <laughs> it was the wrong answer. It showed that there, had, there was no correlation between uh anything like any and in fact it was actually negative like a one percent increase in cholesterol actually like conveyed a one percent decrease in mortality <laughs> so 
they just basically like, well, shit, this isn't giving us the answer that we wanted. Throw that in the garbage. Um, and it, it like it's pretty bad. Like he's actually smeared other researchers who would say like, hey, um, I'm I'm doing some things. I found like sugar actually might be a, a problem. Um, in fact, there's this Dr. Yudkin who who proposed that maybe sugar had some ill health effects and keys like went after him. And even worse, there's this other guy, this professor, uh, Kilmer McCulley was his name. He's a Harvard researcher who was just kind of innocently looking at this link between homocysteine and arterial sclerosis in children. And there was this weird linkage, like where higher homocysteine levels led to like what looked like old people, like their, their uh, arterial sclerosis in some, in some children through some like birth defects or some genetic defects. And it's like, he's just publishing along doing this research, kind of minding his own business. And the fact that it got close enough to calling into question the cholesterol hypothesis, they shut him down, canceled him, kicked him out of Harvard, took all his funding away. And even when he went to go interview at other places years later to try to get a job, they would call ahead and blacklist him like uh, I mean, this is like it's religious type type of uh, level of, you know, like <laughs> of you know, like uh, you know, the Earth is flat kind of kind of thinking. Um, and there's a little bit of like reason for this. Like, so the the Sugar Research Foundation uh, promoted fat as in these studies as like trying to make it the culprit in all of this stuff. And there were these two brothers by the last name of Kellogg who happened to invent this thing called cornflakes. And it turns out that they were uh, they were Seventh Day Adventist uh, was a big part of their lives, and part of the the Seventh Day Adventist uh, prescription for you know being in that religion is to mostly eat like vegetables and grains. And so uh, you have like literally money and religion sort of pushing on this this cholesterol hypothesis in, and supporting the research for it. Um, and then on top of all that, you have the statin industry, which in the last, call it 40 years, has been literally like $1 trillion worth of revenue has gone to the statin industry. Um, like they've put everyone on statins basically. So I'm like, this isn't, I'm not going to go all like crazy conspiracy theory on this, Too but right. you do kind of have yeah, to say go like, ahead. like, let's do this. Munger's incentives would tell you like, boy, like who stands to win, you know, who stands to lose in this and like, why do people behave in certain ways? Um, so cardiovascular disease, I think there's probably some question marks around like how we ended up with the dietary guidelines that we've had for the last 40 years as a way of trying to be heart healthy, quote unquote. Well, I want to like pivot this a little bit into in the early 1900s, there was this community that lived in southern italy in this town called rosetto and a bunch of them for whatever reason decided to all move to the u.s together and they started another town called rosetto in pennsylvania and they all lived together in this this little community and what's crazy is that for some reason they had half of the rate of cardiovascular disease compared to everyone around them what's going on like is what like any guesses as to why that is maybe lots of olive diet? oil lots, lots of, of olive oil potential okay, so like say Mediterranean diet is what might be one answer maybe, maybe they're walking a lot yeah okay maybe so they both, don't have a lot of stress genetic yeah okay, maybe it's so, genes what else do we have toby let's throw it out here eggs they're like eggs eggs yeah <laughs> All right, so most of your answers Definitely are, are wrong. Most stress, most stress. Okay, they had wrong. constant diarrhea. Try that one. <laughs> so okay, they well uh, they smoked unfiltered stogies. They drank <laughs> wine with abandon, quote unquote. Ooh, sounds they, like a fun place. They. Uh, that's where I'm going. A value keeps going like this. That's right. They they skipped the the Mediterranean diet in favor of meatballs and sausages and salami and cheese. Legends. Good for them. Uh, they got Maybe. sun on their genitals, I bet. Sun your balls. That might be part of it. <laughs> they had, uh, did they have easier jobs? No, it turns out most of the men worked in this slate quarry where there was like noxious gases and dusts wow. and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but you guys already, you did hit on what the question, what it was. And the answer is actually that they had lower stress because they lived in a cohesive community where their 
like there wasn't much keeping up with the Joneses because everyone mm. lived in the same kind of small houses, lots of family around, lot, lots of cohesion. Um, and they had uh, there was a lot of structure and, and family ties around there. And interestingly enough, I don't know, are you guys familiar with these like blue zone studies? No, uh, it's, I am not. Yeah, it doesn't sound like those people are on Twitter very often, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's blue check mark. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, ex- exactly right, Bill. Um, the blue zones are like these, they supposedly found these like correlation with longevity and what they were trying to pin to a vegetarian diet. Um, but if you dig a little bit deeper into it, uh, there's lots of places that have vegetarian diet, but have horrible mortality rates relatively speaking and what what's probably more likely is that all those blue zone places have very like uh strong social structures and family ties that that create lower stress so so what's actually happening there biochemically with lower stress and why is that maybe like some mechanism to cardiovascular disease uh cortisol right is the stress hormone and when it's released it releases it like it so it's basically like priming your body to like fight or flight, right? Like it's the time is like, I'm going to need to do something right now. And so it will, re, it'll release energy within your system. So it's called catabolism. Uh, it'll speed up your heart rate. It'll dilate your pupils. Your liver will st- start producing cl- more clotting factor, actually. Like in case you get hurt, right? Like you want to stop so the bleeding. Bleed out. Yeah. You don't bleed out. Hmm. Like it actually will like ramp up clotting factor raises your blood sugar so that there's more energy available. Um, and it, it basically like will deprioritize repair and, um, and your immune system because it like, it knows it needs to handle something to, like right now, not be worried about the future. So it actually starts like basically like hyperbolically discounting right. the present compared to the future. Um, now you, like normally cortisol will be dumped by exercise. Like, so typically when you were going to get into a fight or flight, it would be cleared out by you actually like moving and doing something. But if, so if you got in the fight, you'd actually cleared it all out. So fighting is good for you. And that's all we have time for. Folks. Got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just I got that. That's what I got. <laughs> that's right. Um, I think we just got demonetized. Oh, it was a long, like as soon as I said cholesterol, we were demonetized. Like this is, <laughs> This is like tinfoil hat stuff. Um, Big statin's got us. Statin got us. The statin industry definitely probably actually lobbies Google. Oh, no, no. I don't know how that works, but I'm going to go with it. I don't want to derail you, dude. I'm, I'm interested to know how do we keep going? So if you, if you are just sitting and you're, you're stressed out about money, you're stressed out about the stock market, you're stressed out about you know family problems, putting food on the table, whatever it is that you're stressed about, and you don't actually get the exercise to clear that stress out, clear the cortisol out, you end up with basically your body prioritizing right now as opposed to being healthy later. And the, so it won't fix a lot of the, you know, the, the inner damage that's happening because of this. Um, and that's like, I think, and if you want to, if we like actually wanted to get kind of convoluted with this, like, I think we may be doing a really nice service, this show in like providing a little bit of levity and a little bit of like community and suffering through things together in a way that hopefully maybe we're reducing the cortisol for everybody who, who happens to tune in. And we, this is like a kind of a fairly tight knit little community um, that maybe like we lean on each other in such a way that. I'd like to think that we're all helping each other to, to clear some of that cortisol and um, maybe live a little bit longer and better lives. So that's, that's like a kind of a Thanksgiving thing I wanted to like, we thank you to everybody as part of the community too. That um, Oh, I thought that you were trying to tell them to thank us, which I liked. Well, that, that can happen. You are too, welcome but... for us gifting you with our presence. I like, I like the, I like the, the commentary, the, the comments on the site is always amazing. It's kind of amazing how it's grown over time too. We should try and capture that offline. I've been thinking about a way to do it. I've got this idea. Somebody, one of our guests actually recommended this little service. I'm going to implement it. Uh, so it sort of exists when the show's not going on. Uh, it's a little, little preface. Uh, I don't have any announcements. We're just working on something behind the scenes. Let me know how that works. Yeah. I will. It'll be out Thank soon. You. 
Well, anyway, so, if you're feeling stressed, make sure you get your exercise in so that you dump that cortisol and don't create long-term problems. I can feel my heart speeding up right now as you're talking. Is that a good thing or is that bad? Why is it speeding up? I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I, I got a lot of shit going on in my life, like real talk. Uh, like a lot of stuff outside the market that is like very stressful. I'm waking up at night thinking about it. Yeah, that's and I think that Jake's like talking about it triggered my thinking about it. You're stressed about the stress now. There's another yeah, thing no, you that's, be that's actually about. no real talk. That's actually where I am. Are you getting exercise? Are you on the pill? Yeah, I, I am. And I'm, I'm eating better and I'm drinking a lot less. I mean, things uh, I'm taking care of myself in a much better way, but like I got, it's just outside of my control and it's, it's, uh, it's, it has not been fun. Sorry to hear that, mate. It's, uh, it's all good. You it's, just, it's real. What? Get yourself a kettlebell. I got two. I got to go throw them around. That's it. Yesterday, I was like reading in a hammock, so I can't be that upset. But it does like come up. It's like family shit. So um, anyway, no, I like it, man. Uh, I, I think, you know, one thing that I, I appreciate about you guys, and I think that the three of us have uh, like real priorities in order. And, you know, I do think that someday, you know, if we ever hang out at Berkshire again, if people come hang out with us. I think you'll find us to be three pretty jovial fellas when we're together. And I think it's because we don't take, you know, I think we take the big stuff seriously and the other stuff we keep in perspective. Uh, I think that's probably one of the reasons we all connect. I agree. But I would say also that uh, I have growth must die. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I hope, I hope, I hope I'm just kidding to buy some of those things when they get cracked. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not a hater. I'm just. I'm just sour because I'm, I'm I kid, performing I relatively. Kid. I think that you have to focus a little bit on. You have to consciously focus on stress reduction, and I do lots of things like, you know, um, you know, some of them are mindset things like you know, trying to follow some of the what the Stoics prescribe, some some of what the Taoists prescribe. I think that stuff is all excellent. Also, getting exercise. Also, not checking the portfolio through the through the trading day those are all very very helpful things for you know reducing the stress andrew huberman who's a phd professor at stanford i think he has some good prescriptions on he says you got to keep your um the software in your or the hardware in your head that the dopamine gets attracted to you have to keep that squeaky clean by denying yourself constantly through the day and he recommends 25 denials so anytime you go to think about doing something you got to delay it it's brutal. Well, my wife's good minutes. for 20 of those. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That means you got good tea if if she's saying no that often. You got to. Uh... You know what? Uh, you remember how we talked about mouth taping, by the way, like while you sleep? Yeah, that's I what figured, I should do on read, the podcast. Uh, well, no. So, you know, I was like kind of I've I couldn't figure out like why would that even make any difference? But apparently it has something to do with nitrous oxide. Hmm. which is produced more in the nasal cavity when you breathe through your nose and your nitrous oxide will open up, um, actually like opens up the exchange between like gases more in your vascular systems. Therefore, like you'll get more oxygenated blood. Like it'll just, it'll, everything will work better basically. So huh. that's the, so what do I tape it mechanism. With? You can like medical stuff. tape. Yeah, medical tape, athletic tape, um, either any of those. Duct will... tape. That's no, not, that's not, that. that's not right. That's that, yeah, there goes my lips. That's if you want to get a little bit more rough. <laughs> that's, the, that's, uh, that's for after, after hours. I started doing the nasal breathing um, during exercise. And because yeah. I, because, you know, I used to swim. So you got to hold your breath when you're swimming. Like that's, a, and, and there's definitely, I feel, you know, you, you control your breathing much better if you're, if you're doing it while you exercise, you can control it when you're not exercising. I notice that, that the breathing is much easier. So I started doing it. It's the most claustrophobic I've ever felt in my life. Like throwing mm. the kettlebells around nasal breathing. I thought I was going to die the first time really? I did it. Yeah. But it took two weeks later, three weeks later. Now it's, it's completely like now it's as easy as breathing through a mouth and it's preferable because you don't, your mouth dries out if you do it. What, uh, what kettlebell regimen are you on? Mate, I, I'm 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 uh, cleans and cleans and uh, you know snatches like the full like off the ground into the air. I like it, full body. 
It does. Have you tried, uh, the, it, you tried the Turkish get-up? Yeah, the t- I mean, I do that on my off days. That's a that's fun. I do it on my off days. What a big time comment. Because <laughs> yeah. it's not. It doesn't like really get the heart rate going. It's more like a balance and mobility thing. Yeah. You ever uh, check out Becoming a Supple Leopard, the book? I have it. Yeah, I haven't read yeah, it. I have it though. Yeah. Yeah, that's real shit. Is it good? I, I flip through it whenever I have pain. It removes my pain. I stop looking at go. it. I'm sure it's fantastic if you live by it. We'll do a, uh, we'll do a kettlebell, kettlebell dedicated episode next time. But that's time, amigos.